listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. My name is Gavin Schultz, and I serve with the worship bands on Sundays and Wednesdays, and I also lead a small group on Wednesdays. Uh, today, I will be reading Luke 13, 18 through 35. He said, Therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us. Then he will answer you, I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you will come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out, and people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. At that very hour, some Pharisees came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, Go and tell that fox, Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Gavin. I've heard the, the phrase stated before, There's only two guarantees in this life. Two things are for sure in this life, and they are death and taxes. Well, today I'm going to argue that that's not exactly true. There are three things that are certain in this life. Death and taxes and the inevitable kingdom of God. God is communicating through his son, the Messiah, God the Son, to an audience of Jewish listeners. I heard, I read behind a particular individual, he's new to me, and I I read what I think is a pretty good statement. I think it's pretty accurate, is that the Gospels represent the culmination of the kingdom uh, uh, communication of God to his people. It, it brings the Messiah kingdom saga to its end. Now, you say, well, wait a minute. We're still going. That's correct because I think what has happened is God has postponed 
some of those things that he's going to bring about in blessings through the kingdom because of the response or lack thereof of Israel. But this is bringing all of those promises in the Old Testament to its, its conclusion in the ears of the people of Israel. So a lot of times when we read in the Gospels, we've really got to put our Jewish eyes on if we're going to understand a lot of what Jesus has to say. And in fact, most of us can't put on the Jewish eyes because we've not been raised in the synagogue. We, we've not memorized many large sections of the Old Testament and know how that they are naturally fit together. And so when we come, we come with Western eyes, Gentile eyes, and we get confused. And we think, why did Jesus say those things? Why did he say it like that? I don't understand what he means. And so we have to put on the lenses to see and hear what he says in the Gospels primarily to the Jews. Because they were being offered what God had promised them over the course of centuries and centuries. Unfortunately for Israel, by the dozens and tens of dozens, they were rejecting that offer. Thinking they were serving God, God's own people were rejecting the Messiah they had been waiting and waiting and waiting for. When Jesus comes to this section that we're going to talk about this morning. He's on his way from Galilee to Jerusalem. Again, Luke painting the picture of Jesus leaving his early ministry in Galilee and now moving toward the city where he will lay his life down, where he will ultimately fulfill his purpose. He will fulfill God's plan in being rejected, betrayed, crucified, but raised again to victory. And on the way, Luke is showing us some of these things that Jesus is saying to his disciples, those who have believed and have trusted and come to the conclusion that we believe that Jesus, the rabbi from Nazareth, is Messiah. And then there are others that are hearing Jesus, the rabbi from Nazareth. We're not real sure, but we're here to sort of uh, tease our curiosities a bit. And then you have those in the crowd that Jesus often speaks to that have already made up their mind. They have rejected him. They don't have any concern for him other than removing him from their circumstances any way they possibly can. And so what Jesus communicates here in this section is about the kingdom of God that is inevitable. But because so many were turning from him and so few were following him, the question arose we're not real sure, Jesus, is if this kingdom that you're promising will actually become a fulfillment. We as Gentiles can, can listen and learn, and then when we get toward the end of this section, we're going to get really excited about what Jesus is saying. Even though we're not the audience he's saying it to, we're going to hear him speak directly to us as well. So pay attention and hang on as we look. First, we see where Jesus explains... That the kingdom of God, while it advances slowly, it advances surely and completely. He uses two illustrations that would have been very familiar to those listening to him. He uses the illustration of uh, the agricultural seed of a mustard grain. And he uses the baking illustration of leaven in bread. We've already touched that a few weeks back about what leaven in bread does. But let's just hear what Jesus says. He said, therefore, 
What is the kingdom of God like? How can I explain to you how the kingdom works? And to what shall I compare it? Verse 19, he says, It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made their nests in its branches. Jesus says, how can, I, how can I illustrate for you how the kingdom of God is going to operate? And he uses one of the smallest seeds that could be planted, the grain of mustard seed. Now, there's a lot of debate about what exactly this particular seed is, what exactly is there's, there's multiple types of this thing. But what we do know is that the seed he's showing them is one of the tiniest that you can have. In fact, it's a little black seed that if dropped in the ground where there's gravel and where there's uh, sand that's not like our Florida sand, it could be very easily mistaken for a speck of dust. Something that seems so utterly insignificant. Those that were coming to Jesus were the ragtag, the broken, the outcast, numerous women who were not valued at all in that society. The the men who didn't have the intelligence enough to study longer in the synagogues and have had to take up a trade that they can fulfill without having that type of, uh, of opportunities. People that are scrounging to get just their meals on a given day. People that had diseases that had put them outside of the community that now Jesus has healed, but honestly the people aren't real sure what to do with them. It's a ragtag bunch of ragamuffins. I like to think they look a lot like Oasis Church. Y'all cool with that? Can, can we just be honest about who we are? We're not, we're, we're, we're not the top crust, okay? If you think you're uh, top layer stuff, you probably are in the wrong place because we're not. We're, we're, we're a bunch of leftovers, a bunch of forgottens, and you know what? I'm so cool with that because y'all my people and I'm one of y'all. And guess what? Those are the ones that typically fell in line with Jesus. And so they're looking and they're seeing that, wow, Jesus, you're really not amassing that much of a great following. Especially these folks that think you're Messiah and you're going to have to overthrow the, the Roman government. Man, you're really picking some of the wrong people to be following you because you've not got the numbers. You've certainly got got the know-how. I just don't know how this is going to work. Jesus, let me tell you how it's going to work. Something that seems so utterly insignificant, you put it in the ground and you cover it over and you walk back to it the next day and look at it and you say, what's there? And, and, And if you left a mound, that's all you'll see. And if you come back the next day, you'll see just a mound, or maybe it's been flattened by now. And you think, well, that little thing, I guess it's just no longer amongst us, and it's just part of the ground, which it actually is. But give it enough time, that insignificant little speck of a seed will grow into a plant that is at least 10 to 15 foot tall. And some of what I read said that this can happen in just a summer's season. If you've ever planted an oak tree, you know that you better plant it when you get married if you're going to enjoy it in retirement, okay? So you understand that some things take a long time. But Jesus was using this little plant to, to explain 
how that God's kingdom operates. Something that begins so tiny, but ultimately becomes the source of rest and protection. Over a summer or maybe a couple of months longer, this little seed will sprout into a tree that can grow and provide shade for any looking to get out of the sun for a moment. It can provide a home and protection for many birds. It started out as something this is never going to work. This is never going to progress. But Jesus says, just give it a little time. And what will come from what seems like nothing will be something absolutely extraordinary. I know you think that that God's kingdom could not be fueled by these ragtag groups that are following me, that, that how anything significant can come from this. But just you wait. Because God's kingdom... The thing that's going to be inaugurated by the king when he's enthroned on the cross and then proven in resurrection, it's going to start small, but give it a little time. And it's going to grow and provide what you would have never imagined. But let me use another little illustration Jesus says. Again, he says, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? Not only does something very tiny, something very humble and insignificant become something much larger, giving a little time, but it also operates like a woman, verse 21, who took and hid in three, uh, who took, it's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all Leaven. Now, we've talked about leaven before. It's, it's fermentation. It's, a, it's, it's yeast in a bread. And so you, you bake bread with the dough that has yeast in it, and that yeast will cause it to get all nice and fluffy and yummy. What you do is you take a little bit of the dough out and you put it in a pot while you bake this. And then when you're ready to bake another batch of bread, which would be the next day or the day after, you would get that flour together, you'd put all the, the ingredients, and then you would bring that little bit of leavened bread and you'd put it in there and you'd mix it together and you would let that bread become full of the yeast and then you pull off another little piece and set it and bake it. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a woman who takes a little bit of leaven and puts it into three measures of flour. Now, ladies, let me just ask you. About how much bread do you think you could make with 50 pounds of flour? If you had 50 pounds of flour, you're saying, I probably work for a restaurant. I'm probably a baker who's making many loaves because you don't just pull down the 50-pound bag of flour to make bread for the family, right? It's going to mold. It's going to be way too much. So Jesus is using a pretty big baking operation. And he's got this operation. We're making a lot of bread. The kingdom of God starts out small and becomes something much more spectacular. And the kingdom of God is something that starts small, but ultimately will infect the entire amount. 
You wouldn't think that a little bit of leaven could infuse or infiltrate the entire 50 pounds of flour, bread, dough. And the fact is, give it a little bit of time. And not one single ounce of the dough won't contain the yeast. Jesus says the kingdom of God operates in such a way, give it time, and it will unavoidably and completely saturate the entire amount. What do you think Jesus is talking about? I think he's talking about the entire world. You think these folks don't have a chance. And every day the crowd that's rejecting me grows, and by percentage, the crowd that's following me is much farther behind and as soon as you can figure out a way to get rid of me then this that I'm communicating about God's kingdom is going to be stomped out and something else will come along Jesus said don't work like that I think in the New Testament where he talks about if you take a seed you plant it in the ground as he's talking about as he was raised from the dead so too will we talking about an illustration of putting uh, uh, the body of a loved one in the ground what's going to happen with that lord and 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 paul on behalf of 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 our savior says you put that seed in the ground if it's a seed that has been uh, transformed by faith in Christ, just as he was raised, so too like a plant will that body, when it's time, be raised to new life. Jesus says, you're going to plant me, and you're going to think that my work and my ministry is done. But what you're going to discover is, is that it's just beginning to saturate Chuck Swindoll, in his commentary on the book of Luke, said that within 40 years of Jesus' resurrection, that's one lifetime. Raise your hand if you've lived 40 years. Keep your hand up if you're on your way toward the second iteration of 40. But anyway, in the span of one lifetime after the resurrection of Jesus, the gospel had reached all of the great uh, metropolitan centers of the Roman Empire. In 40 years, the gospel of Jesus had moved and saturated all of the metropolitan areas of the Roman Empire. It's argued that by the end of the second century, the entire known world had been exposed to the gospel. Of course, we know that the known world at that time was much smaller than the world actually was. So there was more work to be done. There's still more work to be done. Pastor Kevin, we'll never be able to saturate the world with the gospel. According to the International Mission Board, the Southern Baptist Convention, who is their, it's their international missions uh, sending agency, and through uh, information that I got from the Joshua Project, which is also another uh, uh, missions-minded organization, what I learned from them that there are still over 7,300 unengaged and unreached peoples in the world. 7,300 over unreached and unengaged people, groups, meaning they have no clue about who Jesus is, no concept of a gospel, a death and resurrection. They just don't know because they've never been engaged. They've never been reached. That adds up to over 3.27 billion people. 
Does it mean that everybody, every single person is going to hear? Not necessarily. But Jesus says, don't be overwhelmed by that number. Don't think that the gospel has been stopped or stalled. The yeast is still growing. The dough is going to be infiltrated. And there's nothing to do to stop it because it's inevitable. I think in that word, inevitable, I'm a Marvel fan. You Marvel fans know who you are. Those of you who aren't, you can just pause for me. You Marvel fans know that the evil bad guy in the Marvel series of the Avengers thought he was inevitable. I'm inevitable. He said, you can't stop me. But y'all know, coolest man ever to put on an iron suit said, oh yeah, well I am. Yes, he did. He snapped and everything went back. I don't care what you think. Jesus says, I don't care you iron man. I am. God's kingdom is inevitable. You can't stop it. It's unavoidable. But then he moves on. He says, even though it's inevitable, even though the plan and movement of God is inevitable, your involvement in it has to have a response. Look what he says. Verse number 22. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying through Jerusalem, or toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Because it seems like this thing's not growing real fast. This is you saying that there's only going to be a few and that there's going to be a lot of rejection. I, I don't know what's happening here. And he said to them, verse 24, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you will begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us. Then he'll answer you, I don't know who you are or where you come from. Verse 26, then you will begin to say, well, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I'll pick up right there in just a second. Let me explain to you possibly what it is Jesus is referring to. Someone who would have been a little more well-off than others would have had a gate around their house. When we moved from Georgia uh, to Texas, we started seeing something we'd never really seen before. It was the privacy fence. We got out to Texas, out in, in, to Dallas, go to seminary. Everybody had a privacy fence. Like, well, where we're from, we don't really have a lot of those. I mean, if you, you, you had the really, really, really nice place, you might. But that just wasn't very common. We get down here to Florida, and we discover, hey, privacy fences are, po- are popular down here as well. In a similar fashion, if you were a little more well-off, you would have a fence that would go all the way around your house. It, it would privatize the front of your home. And you would have on the front of your home a French door type of gate that would open that would be wide enough for someone to bring a, an ox or a donkey-led uh, wagon in that would need a larger opening. And so you could open that up. You'd have it chained. You'd have it blocked. But when someone came to make a delivery, you knew who they were, you would open it up, and that would be a large entryway for that to get in. 
But beside that, if you didn't need to have that open so that the whole neighborhood would come in, beside it would be just a little small door. The little small door would allow individual traffic in and out. So therefore, you could, you could kind of leave the, the little open door, kind of like we might have done if you grew up in a house with a, with a screen door. You might leave the big door open, the screen door closed. You can see who's coming. Well, this little door would be left open. And Jesus says, look, entrance into the kingdom of God requires a very specific personal response. You're wanting to know how many are going to be saved. Is it going to be a bunch? Is it going to be few? And what they were talking about is who are going to be those that participate in the kingdom? Jesus says the only participants in the kingdom are going to be those who come through the narrow door that has been opened to them. Well, what is that narrow door? Jesus already said, uh, I, I'm the, the, the doorway. I'm the narrow way. In John chapter 10, verse number 7, he uses an illustration that we, we taught in student ministry about Jesus being the door of the sheep. Meaning he would lay down in that gap between the, uh, the, the round pen that the sheep would come in. They'd have to go through him. He'd have to move out of the way so that the sheep could come in and out. Jesus says, I'm the door. Faith in me, embracing me as Savior, as Messiah, as who I say I am, doing what I came to do, providing what God has promised to you. I'm the way in. You've got to go through the narrow door. Only those who enter the narrow door will participate. And unfortunately, there'll come a time when that narrow door is closed. At nighttime, they would have been very familiar with the fact that the door stayed open during the day. But when nighttime came, in order to protect the family from robbers or those that would come in to harm, they would close the small door. And they would lock the small door. And they didn't have motion lights for people to walk up. And they didn't have the ring door system where you could see who was outside. And at nighttime, when the door was closed, the people knew you don't bother going to the door and knocking on the door because they're not going to let you in. You're not... You're not in by the time the door closed, then you're going to have to sleep outside and be there until the door opens again. And this warning that Jesus is saying, I believe, is that your opportunity to come through the door has a limited time frame. To the best of my ability, to the best of my understanding, it seems to me that the Scripture teaches over and over and over again that it is daytime for men and women, boys and girls, to choose to go through the door while they still have life in this body. And when the time comes that the body is laid in a box because no life is there, then the time to get in the door is done. It seems that Jesus is saying, if you're going to come in, you've got to come in the door. And you've got a limited time frame in which you can come in that door. And nobody automatically qualifies. Remember, you're, lis you're listening with Jewish ears. 
They all thought because they were children of Abraham, they all thought because they were God's people of old that they qualified by birth. They qualified by cultural connection. They qualified by heritage. Jesus says there's no automatic qualifiers. To get into God's kingdom, that is inevitable, requires that you respond to the offer that has been made, and that offer is me. Because once the door closes, you can say all of those things that you thought were good enough. But, but, but I'm out here. I'm part of the family. I don't know who you are. I don't know you. But, 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 but you were out here, and don't you remember? You preached in my presence, and I was the one in the back going, that's good right there. That's a good word, right? Don't you remember? I was the one who was your biggest fan. I don't know you. Wait, wait just a second. I, I, was, I was there when, when you broke the bread, and I ate the bread that you broke, and I was like telling everybody how amazing you were, and that you must be someone special, and that you were a prophet, and you were probably Messiah. I, I had a good idea. I enjoyed the things that you did. I don't know you. Because it's not about where you were born. It's not about whether you go to church or not. Church is a good thing. It's a great thing. In fact, I, I, I recommend it to everybody, to anybody. But it won't save you. Baptism. It's a great thing if you are a follower of Jesus and you want to publicly confess your faith in Him. But just getting over into a baptismal pool won't do anything but get you wet if there's no faith underneath that. It doesn't matter how many good deeds you try to do. It doesn't matter how many prayers you try to pray. No matter how many offerings that you try to give. Jesus says, if you don't go through the door, you don't get in, and I'm the door. That's why he said here, strive to go through that door in verse 24. Strive to enter. It makes it sound like work to enter. It's not what Jesus is saying at all. He's not saying work hard to enter. He's saying, I want you to strain every nerve to get in. I want that to be your absolute singular focus like an athlete who's looking at fourth down. And if we can just hold them one more time, the game is over. And you just leave it all on the field. You strive with everything you've got to make your position the right play. Strive with every nerve. Anybody ever waited on an elevator? Waited on an elevator to arrive? Yeah. You know, it shows up. A lot of folks in the elevator. You go, ah, I'll wait on the next one, right? Stacy and I, we were young in ministry. We were young in marriage. We were young in ministry. They made us uh, the, the youth directors at the church she had grown up in. We were attending. And for a couple, two, three years in the, in the fall, I believe it was, we would take the youth group to this, uh, to this retreat up in the Smoky Mountains. Really cool little thing, a lot of competition. It was a whole lot of fun to take them there. But it was in this hotel. If you've ever been to Gatlinburg, there's this hotel up on the hill, and it's, it's like it's made out of glass, and it's really tall, and you can see it from afar. I'm seeing some head shake. You've seen it before. Okay, problem is, you couldn't wait on the next elevator when they put all those kids from all those churches that were coming from everywhere, they had like one elevator, you know, and, and it held like 10 folks. And you've got 400 people trying to get to all of the multiple floors on there. And you'd stand in line forever. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't say, yeah, I'll wait on the next one. I mean, if you were next in line, that door opened, and there were 40 people. You were going, come on, y'all, we can squeeze. You know, we're getting in, and we're, you know, and folks are mad. That, you know, they're seeing me come. I'm like, really? I'm like, yes, I'm getting on this thing, all right? 
I'm, I'm going to make a wedge large enough for these little ones to get in behind me. Why? I got to get down this. I can't wait on the next elevator. I, I, I don't know when that next opportunity is going to come. I got to get down now. I got to get up now. So I'm striving with everything I got to get on that elevator. No time to wait on the next one. Jesus says, how long are you going to live? What's going to happen tomorrow? I mean, you got plans, you got things you, you want to do, hope to do, and, but really, the time is it's urgent because it's limited. And once you're out, I have no reason to believe, based on my understanding of Scripture, that there's any more opportunity. I know there's a lot of debate out there about future chances and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and I think that's great to talk about and argue about. And, and, and there's a lot in the, in the church that, that hold. I'm, I'm friends and I want to be excited about sitting down and talking. But I've not read anything that has convinced me that what I understand about life and death, heaven and hell, in or out. I've not read anything in Scripture or anybody that has communicated well enough to me to believe that we've got it wrong. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep warning people about that closed door. And, and, and just if one of these days I'm standing there and God went, no, no, I got another one built in. Well, praise His name, but I'm not going to tell you that. Because all I can tell is you got now to decide. And Jesus said, you'd do well if you want in to come in now. Because the time is short. And what a sad thing it would be. How bitter will it be? Verse 28. That place outside, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You will be upset that you're not in. You will be frustrated that you're not in and you're wailing and you're wanting and no one's hearing. Yes, I do think that is the place of separation from God. I do think that is the place that won't have other opportunities. But then it gets even worse, Jesus says, in that same verse, when you, Israelites, when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are cast out. When you're on the outside and you're looking in, and you're seeing everything that you've been waiting on, everything that you've been excited about, everything that you've spent your life devoted to, you see it happening, and you can't get in. How bitter for the one who refused to go through the door that God himself opened. In the person of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, God the Son. By faith. You don't have to bribe this man. You don't have to do a trick to get him in. You just simply come by faith believing that he is who he says he is. And that you need what he's done for you. That he will change you and he'll transform you and he'll make you new. It may start out little, but it'll eventually grow. It might start out looking insignificant, but before long, he'll infiltrate every, infiltrate every part of you. Come by faith. 
Because how bitter will it be for his people who so longed for the kingdom to arrive and miss it. But how sweet it is. Now look here, Gentile. And you say, well, what'd you call me? Look, if you're not a Jew, if you're not a Jew by birth, then you fall into the camp of Gentile. It's just everybody who's not a Jew. Look what he says here. You're going to be upset when you see all your folks and all the, the big wigs in. You can't get in. And people will come from east, west, north, and south to do what? Recline at the table. Hey, wait a minute. Who are all these people that aren't a part of our nation? And Jesus is like, oh, yeah, I got sheep from folds all over this world y'all don't know about. You think God hates the Gentiles? You've been wrong all this time. I never said that. I just said I didn't want you following the gods they served. Oh, I love them. Well, I was going to use you to bless them. I'm sending the Savior to provide the same salvation for them that I provide for you. And they came through the door. They walked right straight through the door that God offered, and that was me. And what are these folks coming from all directions, all shapes and sizes and colors and ethnicities? What are they going to be doing? Reclining at the table. Hot dog, that's where I want to be. I want to be on the outside. I want to be inside. He says, and behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. You're going to see folks sitting closest to me that you never thought would have done anything to get my attention, but they've been so faithful with that little bit I've done, that little bit I've given them. They've been so faithful, and they've got that seat up close. And those big wigs that you just knew would have box seating in the kingdom of God, man, they open the nosebleed. It didn't have anything to do with how it looked, what it sounded like, the smoke, the fog, the all that kind of stuff. It don't matter about that. It's about faithfulness. Oh, you're going to find all kinds of things upside down. You think you're born in the kingdom. You think that you're getting a, a birth pass in. But I'm telling you, if you walk away from here rejecting me and that door closes, you're going to wish you'd have done different. But now you have the opportunity. Now... You can see the way in. So take it. Don't reject. And then lastly, we see that the kingdom of God cannot be hindered, will not be stopped. It advances slowly but surely and completely. It demands a specific personal response to enter. Cannot be hindered. Cannot be stopped. At that very hour, some Pharisees, verse 31, came and said to him, Get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. Now, here's what we don't know. We don't know if that was a true rumor, if Herod Antipas really wanted to kill. Jesus, remember Herod's the one that killed John the Baptist, which is strange that they would say that he wanted to kill Jesus because at the time of his passion when Herod was in town, he asked to see Jesus, and he really just wanted to see him do some tricks. He really just wanted to see if he could get him to do a miracle, tell him something funny, you know, do, do, a, little song, do a little song and dance for me, Jesus. I want to be entertained. And he just wouldn't have anything to do. So it makes me wonder if Herod really did want to kill him or not, or if this was just some wild rumor. But the Pharisees were coming and saying, Hey, Jesus, you know, it's going around that the king wants to put you to death. You should probably get on out of town. You should probably find somewhere to hide. Seems like they're just trying to get rid of Jesus. They're just trying to intimidate him. He said to them, verse 32... 
Go and tell that fox. What, what does he mean by this? Well, I don't really know what he means by this. But here's what I know about foxes. They're little. They're sneaky. And they got to wait till the nighttime to come and get your chicken after you've gone to sleep. So he's just pretty much a little weasel-like thing. So I think that's probably, you go tell that fox that, you know, he ain't that big. Go tell that fox, behold, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And the third day, I'll finish my course. Nevertheless, I must go my way today and tomorrow and the day following. For it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. I imagine they're coming. They're trying to stir up intimidation. Jesus, you need to get out of here. Jesus like, why? Well, because Herod's trying to kill you. Yeah, yeah, go tell him I'm not really bothered by that. Because I, I, got, I got demons to cast out. I got, I got cures to do. I, I look, I got, I got ministry to do. He can't do anything to me because my death's going to happen in Jerusalem. You see, my death was planned out from eternity past. You can't kill me now. You know, you try to. I'm going to squirrel away, and y'all not going to be able to find me. I've done it before in my own hometown. I'll do it again. So you go tell him, I'm, I'm not really all that concerned. I'm going to keep doing what God keeps telling me to do. I'm going to keep following his lead, and it's ultimately going to lead Jerusalem because Jerusalem's where to kill all the prophets. And in Jerusalem's where they're going to kill the son as well. Basically saying, I'm pretty untouchable. Because God's kingdom and God's plan and God's promises are inevitable, unavoidable. But look what he says about his people. And he speaks of them in terms of the city, Jerusalem. He uses Jerusalem to represent the nation. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, verse 34. The city that kills, that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Behold, your house is forsaken. It's desolate. And I tell you, you'll not see me until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As he looks toward that city that he loves, thinking about the people that he is a part of, those that he had come to specifically, even as he's coming to the world, he's coming to them, and he's saying, how often would I have thrown my arms out and welcomed you in and said, get in here. Are you glad to see me? I'm so glad you're here and you're receiving me, and it's going to be great. I would have done it. I will still do it, but you won't. You say, no. How often would I have brought you and put you up on my lap? And would it be sweet? But you'd rather follow your way. You'd rather do your thing than you would come to me. And because of that, this city, this nation, is going to be judged. It's going to experience the ramifications of rejecting its king. And it did, in part, in A.D. 70 under the leadership of the Roman general Titus. 
Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was laid waste. People were executed and driven out of the city. But he doesn't leave it there. I love what he says. You're not going to see me. We're going to be in ruin. But you will see me when you're ready to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You go, wait a minute. They're going to say that in Luke chapter 19. Yes, there are going to be a few on the road that are saying what needed to be said while the whole nation folded their arms and pouted at this one who would dare to call himself Messiah. But in Psalm chapter 118, verses 22 through 29, David gave us a glimpse into the future when God's people, having been judged, having been purified, and having been brought to a place where they're ready, will say this, the stone that the builders rejected, verse 22, has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. They rejected him. They did away with him. But he came back gloriously, not being able to be held down. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. What day? I think for them, it's the day when Jesus returns and those who are ready to claim him Messiah are ready to say, there he is. We got it wrong the first time, but we're getting it right this time. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. You are my God. I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love endures today for those who are willing to come through the door. His steadfast love endures to the very day until he comes for any who will confess him, who will come to him by faith believing. Personal application. For the inevitable kingdom of God, number one, don't ever let changing world circumstances discourage your kingdom focus. You see, Jesus inaugurated the kingdom on the cross, and through his resurrection, he planted that seed. It's growing. Is it at its full extension now? No. But it's growing, and it's active, and his followers can live its principles today. And what will we experience? We will experience peace and joy we will experience the love that the Spirit will produce in us, the, the patience that we need to endure all kinds of trials. Because until Christ returns and His kingdom is complete, we're going to face the same kind of trials He did. As you watch as, as armies are lining up against armies, and, and you know what? We should write our senators. We should say whatever needs to be said about those who are in harm's way. But don't you fret for one second about whatever army is lining up at whatever border to do whatever in the world they're going to do. Because God alone is sovereign. They're just another nation in this world at this time who is under His full control. The only thing that's inevitable is what God started, God's going to complete. 
Now, it might get ugly. It has been ugly before. But that should never discourage our kingdom focus. God's plans are right on time. What does this tell us? It tells us to share the gospel as a regular practice. If you know Jesus as Savior, you need to be telling people about him, talking about him, sharing what he's done for you, and inviting them to follow the same entrance that you followed, the door that is Christ into his kingdom by faith and by faith alone. And not only should we be sharing that gospel message with others, but we should be intentionally investing in gospel initiatives all over the world. All over the world. You say, well, how do I do that? Well, you could first start by contributing to what's happening here. Because we're contributing to the gospel message being uh, communicated in the city of Winter Haven, in the city of Wrangell, Alaska, and right now in uh, the nation of Portugal. You can be a part of that. There are numerous other opportunities to be involved in worldwide missions. And I would invite you, encourage you to do and take advantage of that. Because there's still over 3.27 billion people that need to hear. Or maybe you need to go. Say, that's scary. Yeah, but if that's what God leads, he'll make that way straight. Have you ever said, God, I'm willing to go if you want me to go? We'd love to send a missionary from Oasis Church. We'd love to support you. Share the gospel. Be involved in gospel initiatives. And then lastly, knowing that God's kingdom is, a, is inevitable, ask God for wisdom and courage to remain faithful as the fires of opposition and persecution rise on us personally. We've talked about it this week. I actually had two or three conversations with different individuals about how things are changing in our nation. Things are changing rapidly in Canada, and rapidly in the United Kingdom over the gender issue, over how a ministry can disciple people about how their own sexuality should be expressed if, if you're going to follow Jesus. I mean, you can do whatever you want to. If you want to follow Jesus, you want to do it his way. He's very specific about that. But laws are being written that are making that criminal. Um, I'm not cut out for jail. Not designed for that at all. But the day may come when it's truth with consequences or compromise with freedom that I don't want to give an account for. So what do we need to do? We need to count on the fact that God's kingdom and plan is inevitable. And we need to ask him for wisdom and courage to represent Jesus, to look like him. And if that has uncomfortable consequences, well, then give us the grace we need in order to endure whatever. That's what we do. And then fourthly, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior... The door is open today, right now. You bring your sin in the door, and he takes it upon himself. He wraps you in the righteousness that he has prepared through his death and resurrection in your place for your sin, and he makes you part of the family. Gives you a new destiny for eternity. He gives you a new purpose for today. 
So if you don't know Jesus, don't go home without him. Amen? Let's stand together. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, nobody's looking around. Maybe this is just the time where you say, I'm, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I know about him. I, I don't know a lot about him, but I know about him. But I've never trusted him. I've never responded to that offer. And maybe right now in your heart, you would just, to him if you mean it, God, I know I'm a sinner. Uh, at the very least, I, I, I understand that I'm broken. And it's broken in such a way I can't fix it. But I believe that you fix what's broken in me through the death and resurrection of your son. In my place for my sin. And I believe you did that because you love me. And I want to trust Jesus and Jesus alone. I want forgiveness. I want new life. I want to be a part of that kingdom. I want to come through the door. God, will you take me today? If that's your heart, if that's what you mean, I can say with confidence, that's what he'll do. Christian, maybe you're just at a point where you just need to say, Lord, I've just been living for everything but the kingdom. I've had my focus on everything but you, but, but my calling. And so, God, today I just want to say, forgive me, and then you fill in that blank. And I want to walk out of here kingdom focused, ready to go to battle, ready to go to work. Trusting with confidence that what you started, you will complete. So, Father, we ask that you'll use us in whatever way you see fit, that you'll take us, you'll chip away what doesn't need to be there so much that just needs to be filed from your children. But you're going to do what you started out doing. So we ask that you'll help us to be receptive to the foul, receptive to your hand. Give us the courage to go tell others about you, what Christ has done for them. Give us the courage to face opposition, difficulty, and to get our minds off what the news says and onto what your word says. God, help us to be involved, engaged, but not shackled to this world. Help us to be willingly shackled to you and your plan. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your love. We ask that you'll take us and use us this day for your glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said...